the Clear Creek Resources Podcast from Clear Creek Community Church, located in the Bay Area of Houston. Welcome everyone to the Clear Creek Resources Podcast. I'm Rachel, and I'm so grateful that you are listening today. So I was given the really amazing opportunity to visit Israel a couple weeks ago with my husband, Aaron, who teaches how to study the Bible, and Yancey Arrington, our teaching pastor, and his wife, Jennifer, who also teaches women of the word. We learned a lot and we experienced a lot and we wanted to share some of this with our church. This week of Easter, as we celebrate the historical truth that Jesus lived, died, and rose again and how that changes everything. We actually recorded this podcast in Jerusalem, sitting about 400 yards from what is known as the Old City of Jerusalem, where all the events of the final week of Jesus's life took place, his death, resurrection, and the beginning of the church. Hope you guys enjoy. Well, welcome you guys to our Clear Creek Resources podcast. We are in sort of, sort of a unique place. No, really a unique place. We're actually sitting in Jerusalem together after spending about nine days in Jerusalem. Uh, remind me, where exactly are we right now? How far away are we from? So, I mean, if you if you hear the sounds of birds or maybe even some water or people talking it's because uh, we're at a hotel that's barely 400 yards so think about four football fields uh, just i think this would be west of the uh, what's known as the jaffa gate uh, which is a part of the old city of jerusalem so we're, we're really a few uh few good golf shots away <laughs> from uh landing that ball right in the the city the old city of jerusalem that's just one there. shot for bryson yeah one that. yeah that's exactly just one side for the for the real pros but for hackers like me it may take a couple but think about that 400 yards uh from the city uh which jesus went into especially as we approach things like uh, holy week and that and the other uh his crucifixion his resurrection it's just four football fields away that's mm-hmm. where we're doing this podcast from so as you said rachel it is a very unique location for this pod today yeah so we want to go through not every detail of the trip we've gone on but um we want to hopefully have a discussion about what we've learned what god has revealed to us how this experience has shaped uh, how we view the bible um, and hopefully it's a blessing to our brothers and sisters so we're, we're not going to go through every single day but hopefully give a broad overview and what it means for our faith today um, so I just want to ask all of you first, uh, they've, they've given us, so we have really good guides here who've been uh, teaching us and walking with us throughout this trip. What is some just like really cool fact that you've learned from them? Because they are just spouting out things all the time. Like, well, this means this and this means this. Do you guys have one of those? Yeah, I guess, I mean, mine, I don't even know if I would think of it as a fact, just that the geography has played such an important part of this trip for me to understand uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament, and it's it's been wonderful. For me, we went we visited the city of Nazareth after we went to Mount Carmel. Uh, so we went to Mount Carmel one day, looked down in the Valley of Jezreel, which is where we talk about Armageddon and the city of Megiddo. Mm. And then the next day, or two days later, we went to Nazareth, and we just walked up to this cliff, and we looked down, and we were on the other side of the of what we again think of as the valley where Armageddon. Um, will happen or where it's symbolically represented as happening. And that's where Jesus grew up. And so that was amazing to me to think about Jesus of Nazareth. That is on the western side of the city that he grew up in. That blew my mind. I think for me, one of my favorite facts I learned was um, 
When I was in college, we did an extended study of Nehemiah. And when we stood at the top overlooking Jerusalem at the city, one of the things our guide pointed out to us is right around the old city of David, part of the wall that Nehemiah built is still standing today, thousands of years later. And that that just blew my mind. Yeah, that's, that's cool. amazing. So, my, so one of the things that I just love, this is like no theological significance, I just thought it was fun, is when they uh, told us that there are actually locust trees. So when they said like John the Baptist, you know, he was in the wilderness and he ate, he ate honey and locusts. Honey is actually more like a chocolate from the bark of a tree here. And then they're actually, they're called locust trees and it's, it's more of a fruit. So he was really eating chocolate and a fruit, which is one of those things that it doesn't matter, but it's, if you know, you know, it's that historical context and geographical context, like you're talking about, you're like, oh, that actually is less weird than it seems like and makes sense. So I, I just love learning those things. It just brings it to life. Yeah, I'd say for me, pretty much what Aaron would say, uh, was saying, I think we've all said it too, <clears throat> pardon me on this trip, is the proximity to things. So when yeah. we were on the Sea of Galilee, where um, it's, it's, it's a stone's throw. It feels like you could almost say literally a stone's throw, but it's, it's, not, it's not but a few miles from Nazareth where Jesus was raised to the shores of the Sea of Galilee, which is really just a big lake, y'all. It's not a sea, it's a big lake. They just call it the Sea of Galilee because it's, it's, it's like 16 miles long and ever so many miles wide. But it's, uh, that's where Jesus, when you read the Gospels, I mean, 95% of what you're reading is happening around the Sea of Galilee. And so Nazareth is where Jesus is raised. But when Jesus does his ministry, it's in this little town called Capernaum. And we got to be at Capernaum, and it's it's just it's like saying um, most of the Bible happened between South Houston and Texas City. It's that kind of proximity. Mm-hmm. It's really crazy that all of it happens within this radius that is not very long that you can walk to almost all of this stuff. And frankly, a nation that's what 50 miles wide. It's its narrowest point, and then 300 miles long. So just. I mean, from people being from the state of Texas, mm-hmm. where everything takes forever to get to, Israel and really the places that Jesus did ministry was incredibly compact. And so uh, it, it, it's pretty easy for me to see why he he gathered a lot of crowds because all these people knew yeah. each other. It's like, hey man, uh, he, he was over in Dickinson today, so all the League City people are showing up. Now he's shifting west towards uh, Friendswood. So now the people from Alvin are coming in the League City and the Dickinson people are joining in them. And so much so that he's got to get out on, you know, Galveston Bay to speak to people. I mean, that's, that's basically what happened there. That to me was, um, that was a learn. Mm-hmm. So that was a big learn. Helps me look at the Bible in a way to go, wow, this all happened really in a, in a compact place. Yeah, so that's actually um, a great segue to my next question, which is, um, which I mean, you we could talk about a lot right here, but um, which which part of this trip, or what is one um, thing that you experienced, or one place you were that really brought the Bible to life for you? Which is that's what I hear you saying is I can see it all. Like I'm, seri- I'm sitting here on the Sea of Galilee and I can see how this all happened. Yeah, yeah. So, so what are some other examples of that happening during this trip for you? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm with Yancey on the Sea of Galilee. That was amazing um, to see that those are small towns of s- small populations. And then when they talk about thousands of people and the huge crowds, like you could see that that would just, I mean, that would just encompass that whole area with people following Jesus. Um, but for me, I, so I say that because Yancey was getting 
emotional at the Sea of Galilee. Mm-hmm. And for me, I sure was. Um, I was enjoying it, but when we got to Jerusalem, we got out and looked over the city for the first time. And that's the first mm-hmm. time I got emotional on this trip. And and really, uh, I, you know, I told Rachel and Yancey and Jennifer already that like growing up doing and participating in the Stations of the Cross helped me because we're looking over it and I was just imagining Jesus carrying his cross through that city and all the things that we were about to learn about as we entered the city, but just to stand over the city just made those final chapters of the Gospels come to life because I just uh, couldn't believe that. And so when we, when you say Stations of the Cross, for people that haven't grown up with that, that don't know what that is. Yeah, sorry. Okay, no, no, no. Can you briefly describe... Uh, you don't have to go through each station, yeah. but what does it generally mean when you say, hey, we went through the Stations of the Cross for people yeah. who come from different traditions? Yeah, I, th- I think there's 14 stations, um, and it's 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 the methodical march from the time that Jesus is uh, condemned to death by Pilate um, through the city of Jerusalem, ultimately to where he's crucified uh, and, and buried. And so it's... Um, him falling um it's uh you know there's there's traditional elements to it and then there's parts of uh that uh, the stations where it's actually you know just straight out of the bible that he that simon um no that's that's probably tradition but um it's really just the methodical progression from being condemned to the crucifixion and they literally have the numbers of the stations like yeah. yeah, we actually fixed to the wall. <laughs> it says like yeah. one. Here's station two. Here's station three. Yeah, and they actually uh, have the stations of the yeah. cross here too. Yeah, yeah, no. uh, yeah. Which so I was that's really not surprised even about. when you got emotional, but then we actually did it. Later. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. the road for for pilgrims who come here have been doing it really for thousands of years. Obviously, two thousand uh, years. It's, it's called the Via Dolorosa, uh, or the way of the passion, the way of pain. Uh, and we highlight different parts of that. Uh, and when we do our Holy Week and things like that, but uh, for those who grew up doing the stations, they, they go through each station. And so to yeah. be literally, and we keep saying literally like, is here we are, literally in the city where those traditionally have been mm-hmm. held is just is, is overwhelming. I think for me, sitting in the Garden of Gethsemane, I always imagined when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, in my head, it's this dark place. He would have been taken by surprise. Mm. But when we actually sat in the garden and you can see the gate that the soldiers would have come from, um, the garden's kind of down and the gate is up. Jesus would have clearly seen the torches of the soldiers from a distance coming for him. So it just changed the way that I viewed that. Um, It was really powerful to sit there. And of course, we don't know exactly where in the garden he was, but from any any of the points that we were, you can see that gate that the soldiers would have marched through and he would have been prepared. He would have seen them coming and approaching him. And that was really incredibly meaningful. So if you weren't if you want to kind of get in your mind space what that maybe could have looked like approximated imagine being uh in the on the far side of the church office on the egret bay campus those of you who i mean almost all of y'all know where that is so imagine being on the far side of that little office space and then looking up towards the distance at the children's building um and maybe you know imagine it being 50 to 60 feet higher uh and then uh, seeing people come out of the children's building to walk all the way down to uh, that kind of patio area on the office, um, that would have been what Jesus would have seen when the soldiers were coming for him. Now, you'd have to expand that quite a bit, but that's kind of like the look that you, you would have seen them coming, which was a surprise, I won't say for Rachel and Aaron, it was definitely a surprise to me. 
uh, thinking them come out of that gate. Uh, I mean, just amazing to, to just give life to that scene. Oh, it is, yeah. Here comes my betrayer. I mean, you, you sort of think he's just saying that because he's Jesus and he knows. But right. he actually probably saw them coming. Yeah. <clears throat> Which that, for me, is one of, one of the big takeaways from the trip is, is it just it's bringing Scripture to life because it all makes sense. Whenever you are, it's that geographical context that, that you can say, oh, this is exactly why they're saying it, how they said it. Because for me, one of the things, there's, there's a few examples, but one of them is just uh, being on the Jordan near where Jesus was baptized. And after he's baptized, it says he, he goes to the wilderness. The mm-hmm. Spirit takes him to the wilderness. And you can actually see there, okay, he, here's the Jordan where he's baptized in this river. And then actually there's the wilderness right right next to him. Absolutely. So you can see exactly what that would look like from Jesus being baptized and going to the wilderness. And the wilderness, I'm sort of the same as you, Jen. When I when I, I picture things in my head, and for wilderness for me means, I don't know, like a flat desert with cacti. I don't know, like yeah. West Texas. That's the wilderness. Um, <laughs> but there, there are these huge, huge hills just covered in rock. And so when I think about Jesus being tempted in the wilderness, now there's this picture and it just brings it to life. Yep. It makes it makes so much more sense of what the Bible is telling me. It we made re- a lot more sense that when it said Jesus didn't eat for 40 days, I mean, there is nothing living in that wilderness. There is not a plant. There is not an animal. There is, there is rarely a water source. And so all of that part of the, his temptation made a lot more sense as well, too. We see, there are a lot of rocks. We did yeah. see a couple of camels, but you'd have to chase them down. And if you've been <laughs> starving for 40 days, you'd probably, you know, there some were camels. Yeah. Uh, I, I think also... When we read the Psalms, and we read the Psalms where it says oh, the yes. Psalms of Ascent, mm-hmm. uh, that, that's a literal uh, meaning. That No, it's literally when you're ascending to Jerusalem. So as you come into Jerusalem, it's you're going up from the seafloor, if you will, or sea level, I should say. You're going up 18 miles. Uh, 18 miles up. Well, we came up uh, the new Jericho Road, not the old Jericho Road, but we went from Jericho up into Jerusalem. And it's like, imagine going skiing and you got to get up the hill to the ski lifts and to the, to the if you will, the, the ski resort. That's somewhat like it is coming into Jerusalem. You're, you're going up the whole time. No matter what part of Israel you're in, you're always going up. So when they say, hey, we're going up to Jerusalem, even uh, Reuben, who happened to be our guide, who was a, he's a, uh, a Jewish man living here, uh, in Jerusalem, he said, "We never say you're going to Jerusalem. We always say you're going up to Jerusalem." Mm-hmm. And so we have a whole section of Psalms. I don't know, 120 or something to 134. Yeah. yeah, 134, where the, the the literal heading of them is Songs of Ascent or the Psalms of Ascent. And it says, "As I go up to Jerusalem, you know, where does my help come from? Mm-hmm. Uh, I look up, and my help comes from the Lord. Uh, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds His people. I mean, those that kind of language is." A literal description of what's going on. So, uh, Aaron, do you have something to add on to that? Yeah, no, this, I love that. I, I read the Psalms of Sin as we drove into Jerusalem, and then we read the, one. One of the guides read one of them, and it was Psalm 133, and it says uh, it references the Mount of Hermon, uh, Mount Hermon, mm-hmm. um, which is up where the Jordan River starts, which feeds all the way down to the Sea of Galilee to the Dead Sea on the eastern side of, of Israel. Uh, but then it mentions Mount Zion, um, and there's snow, and we saw snow on top of Mount Hermon. It talks about that's a cool place, and that the, the dew uh, that would be over Mount Zion. And it's like if I was reading that without seeing it, I, I would have not had any context mm-hmm. of that. Actually, it's a cooler, more northern spot that's significant, and then um, you know we're right here, Mount Zion in Jerusalem. So 
it was cool yeah so um part of part of what has been so so cool about this trip too is is all of the history here because one thing our guides have said over and over is oh well these walls are these are these are new walls. these are 500 year old walls so we're not going to talk about them because they're so new <laughs> mm-hmm. so that's how much history is here um, which is just am- amazing especially as Americans because we come from really a new country um, so so what for you has been um, sort of the most um, interesting or unique experience just just seeing history in front of you. Has there anything that struck you about that aspect of the trip? <clears throat> That's a great question. I probably need to noodle on that a little bit longer. What, what, what I would say, one of those things, is that uh, being in Israel, and I want to be careful how I say this because, you know, it's not, not everyone gets to go to Israel. One percent of people, uh, Christians that I know of, would even get to go to Israel that I would think about. So I'm, we're privileged to be able to do it. But just to, to, to kind of bring back things to share with the own, our own people at Clear Creek, for me, it's like, man, Jesus, uh, it, it, being here brings more a light, the truth that Jesus was a real person who lived amongst a real people in a real culture that had real different dynamics that I don't, I don't live, uh, I didn't, I don't live in. I don't live in, in a, a city that's been uh, has an oppressor with the Romans, who uh, don't mind squashing any kind of rebellion. Uh, I, I don't live in a world where I have religious tensions against me because, um, you know, Jesus is not only the Messiah. That word's getting out. Pressure's on him. Uh, I, I don't understand the tensions of. By the time that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, there were there were 40,000 people usually around the city of David in Jerusalem. But by the time he rolls in, it's six times bigger. And that uh, you have a lot of Jews coming into the political capital, if you will, where it's putting the Romans on edge and all that stuff. And, if, you know, we've walked through the streets of Jerusalem. We know that Jerusalem's been destroyed 10 or so times, right? But those streets are still narrow. And I just can't imagine the tinderbox, the, the tensions that the Romans had and the Jewish religious authorities had because they don't want it to blow up. So uh, Jesus is, is walking into a tinderbox. And yet, um, as we work through places like the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, the Mount of Olives, we even went to the traditional uh, place of his crucifixion and resurrection known as the Holy Sepulcher. I mean, um, it really was divinely ordained because Jesus, you would think, could have been snuffed out at any time, but the, you know, he knew when his time was, when it was going to be. So for me, I'm sorry, it's rather long-winded. I, just, I feel the historicity of it because you finally get to be yeah. in the city. It's like for Texans that grew up and say they've always heard of uh, the Alamo, well, that's, that's another thing. I mean, uh, Aaron's from San Antonio, but when you finally sit in front of the Alamo, it, it changes things a little mm-hmm. bit. When they say, oh, here were, the bar- here were the long barracks. Here's where the walls used to be. Here's, here's maybe where Davy Crockett was killed. And when you're a little kid and you've grown up with those stories and it's real, it, it just helps you th- see things like, oh, this, this actually was an historical event with really people who really lived mm-hmm. and died. That's all the more true. We get to see Pontius Pilate's road that he built. We get to go to Caesarea Philippi, uh, or rather Caesarea by the sea, and they, no one believed that, that uh, scholars didn't believe that Pilate was a real person until they found a stone with it says that this was built by Pontius Pilate. And that's the kind of stuff that gets us going because as Christians, we believe that the Bible's true. Um, just because almost on, on, on just on, on a full, full face of it all, but to see the history and the archeology span reinforce that is just powerful. It, it felt like he got the right answers on the test 
and then someone actually shows you, here's how the test was, how it was made, you're like, oh, oh this, I am believing the right thing kind of uh, stuff. Yeah, no, that's good. I mean, I think just to add a small piece, that, that, that the tinderbox that you mentioned is so, <clears throat> is so exactly right, that they, the Romans built their tower, their, their fortress, right off, <laughs> adjacent to uh, the Temple Mount area. I mean, and so it was right there. If anything was gonna happen, they were gonna put it out so much so that they were within feet of the Temple Mount. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the neatest things that we saw was, you know, I've al we've always learned that, you know, that, that the temple was destroyed in AD 70, but they have recently uncovered part mm. of the road where um, our guide was explaining to us because I believe it was limestone and they said it was a porous rock mm. that how they destroyed the temple is they just set things on fire. The walls to, of the temple. The walls yeah. of the temple to destroy the integrity of the rock. And they have uncovered a place where the Romans just a few days after that began to throw the rocks down on one of the roads that Pontius Pilate built. And you can see how that road has now been destroyed and they left tons of these enormous rocks sitting there for pilgrims today to come and see. So it was just, again, just brought another historical event to life to actually see the road and to see those giant stones thrown off of the top of the temple. Yeah, I think so, they said this is a snapshot from 2,000 years ago, yes. essentially. Which if you read Matthew 24, mm -hmm. Jesus tells them, this is going to happen. Mm -hmm. The temple is going to be destroyed. Not a stone will be left. And you literally see the stones there. They couldn't, they're too big to move. Well, I guess they could have moved. They're enormous. They just left them there. And so when Rachel says it was a snapshot, it's like, yep, see, it's exactly what Jesus said and is exactly what came to pass. And one of my, one of my favorite um, parts of this week was being able to pray at the Western Wall, mm -hmm. mm. which is um, the wall of the temple that's, that's still there, of the second temple. The outer wall that right. protects the, the temple. Yeah, so we got to um, walk in there and pray. And for me, that was um, one of those emotional moments. And it's not because I think there's anything special or magical about praying at that wall. Um, it's, it's really even, it's contrary to that. It's knowing, though, the history of the temple, that that is where um, God's presence was for God's people and that Jesus is the true temple and that I don't actually have to be there. I don't have to be in the place um, behind that wall where God's presence is because of Jesus, because of Jesus, the true temple. I can be in Leak City, Texas, and I can pray and God's presence is with me. And, and so the connecting with the history of God's people and his presence and then knowing what Jesus did so that we can all experience that we don't have to be at the wall even while being at the wall where all of God's people have been, that was that was just this really amazing moment. Explain for me. explain to the to our Clear Creekers out there just a little bit about what happened. How did you get there? What did it look like? What did you have to do? Can we all pray together there? Like, give us a <laughs> sense about like what was it like for 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 you to to to, to be a part of that? Because you can't just go up and pray to the wall. You can't just walk up there. Can't just wear like your T-shirt and your flip-flops. I mean, there's yeah. I, I think that that to me, and that's again, it's sort of being a part of a different cultural context than we're used to. And I appreciated that. Mm -hmm. If you're a woman, your shoulders have to be covered. You cannot wear shorts, uh, short shorts. If you're a man or a woman, um, it's a holy place for the people here, mm -hmm. and so you have to treat it as such. And then, like Yancey is, um, you know alluding to there's a separate section for men and for women and so we really were experiencing some of the laws yeah, that, that, the, that the Jewish people um, worshipped under 
Um, they're still doing that today. And that's why, so we're, we're like participating in these Jewish laws and customs as we worship and knowing at the same time that, that Jesus has freed us from so much of that to this, this fulfilled worship in presence of him, it, which I loved sort yes. of seeing those both the, both of those things together at the same time. Several of the women, as Rachel and I were walking away after praying, we noticed several of the women were walking backwards. And when we asked our guide, Reuben, he said that's just yet another way they show respect to the Lord. They're not going to, they, they leave, they keep their face to the wall, which to them represents the presence of the Lord. And they walk backwards, uh, keeping their face to the wall the entire time as a sign of respect to the Lord. And so that was a really interesting and meaningful thing mm-hmm. to observe as well. Yeah, I think for me, for the history, are, we, are you going to say anything about the wall? No, no, no. Go ahead. Yeah, sorry. The, for the history, I um, uh, just a different take on it. We, we visit Qumran, where the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls were found mm-hmm. um, in the late '40s, which a lot of people consider to be one of the most, you know, important archaeological finds of the past century. Um, and I'm, one of the big takeaways from that, uh, we got to see some of those scrolls, and, and we got to see copies of some of those scrolls, um, is that it pushed back um, the age of our oldest copy of the Old Testament. Uh, by a thousand years. Uh, so prior to that, we had copies of copies that were, uh, you know, about a thousand to maybe 1200 AD, which is great. But the the scrolls that they found, um, when when there's pushback on, well, maybe this isn't really what the Old Testament was like because it's been copied over so many years. When they found those scrolls, they realized that the the copying was excellent, 99% accurate. I mean, we have what we had in a thousand AD is what was there even in 100 BC, 200 BC, which some of those scrolls date back to, which is just a massive... It's amazing. Yeah, it was so good. So what that does for us, especially for people like, you know, you, Aaron, and Jennifer, and Rachel, when you guys teach, because y'all are all teachers of uh, whether it's how to study the Bible or um, uh, women of the Word or so on and so forth, I mean, we can tell people with confidence, listen, because that's one of the questions a lot of people have, not just seekers, but Christians. Like, how can I trust the Bible? How can I trust that this isn't just a book made by men who over the years have corrupted it? it? Here we have um, academic, really, evidence of... um, here, your, your Old Testament was, that's a, that's, that's, we're just talking page numbers. Way more pages in the Old than the New, right? The Old Testament, as you said, our latest dating was 1200 AD. We find these old shell, I mean, these old uh, potteries, uh, pots, I should say, in, uh, in a cave. Cave number four in Qumran, yeah. and open it up only to find these exact same scriptures written a thousand years earlier, and they're virtually the same. Uh, this is why, and, and, and y'all say this in your classes, and it'd be good for our listeners to hear, the Bible is the most attested, academically attested document in all of historicity for its, for its uh, accuracy and for its legitimacy and its genuineness. There's not even, take Aristotle, take Ptolemy, take uh, the Punic Wars written by, I can't remember the guy who wrote it all of a sudden, but, it, but any historical document uh, of antiquity, the Bible outstrips them mm-hmm. by far. And, uh, and that's frankly why we, we even, we went to the 
ground zero at Qumran, and then we come to Jerusalem to the hotel, uh, excuse me, to the museum there, and they have this huge museum just dedicated to that find because it's so- The shrine so, of the book. The shrine of the book. It's yeah. so, the thing shaped as the jar that they found it in, and it's brilliant. so yeah. significant to them, and frankly to us, from, you know, we, we believe those Old Testament scriptures ultimately point to Jesus. Yeah. So. And in that, they found every book of the Old Testament in that uh, discovery, except for Esther, um, and then they also found additional writings that have shed light on um, the Second Temple Jewish period. But but they found basically every book of the Old Testament, which is amazing. Another neat fact: When were they written? Written usually most of the some of these documents were written while Jesus was walking the planet. Yeah. Mm. So these were Essenes. Jesus knew of the Essenes. Um, fantastic stuff. I I think. I think the one last point is the, the handwriting. You know, I've always wondered the handwriting on these is brilliant. It's clean. It's clear. It's brilliant. Like I mean, these Carl Garcia would have really ruined it had he been asking. <laughs> yeah, Sorry, but Carl. I, I mean, I would have to. Yeah. No. I mean, but when these were professional copyists, like they they were doing their best, and you can see uh, their, how, how good their work was uh, on papyrus and parchment and different things. So, I think just one one more thing um, that has really hit me this week about. Uh, just being in this place that has so much history is, I mean, from just the depth of the depravity of human beings Mm. here. I mean, because it is a beautiful city and we have just been able to see so much, um, so much hope of the Christian faith here. But man, we have seen, whether you're talking about um, ancient, you know, pagan ruins uh, where they were uh, worshiping and sacrificing um, in pretty horrific ways, or you're talking about the, um, the, the, the suffering and the wars that have happened from Jesus's time to even now, you know, hearing about the wars that are still going on to, to walking through what Jesus suffered. I'm just reminded, and the Holocaust Museum too. We, mm. we walked through the Holocaust yeah. Museum here. I'm just reminded that, um, that human beings really are falling. Mm that you, you see that everywhere you look. This is a city, it's called the City of Peace, mm-hmm. but there's so much uh, war and devastation and destruction and sin here. And to me, that's been devastating, but in a way that um, this is where I wanna be when I'm thinking through those things, because then we also keep walking through the steps with Jesus. And I know as a Christian, um, what happens in the end? You know, My hope is because Jesus was here like Yancey was saying, the historicity of that, that that's true, that he walked these steps and he lived and he died and he was raised again and that he's coming back to make all things new. I mean, you can just see the whole picture here, which has been, um, I think, a really good gift for me. Yeah. Uh, I think probably what I would what I would end up, for, for me, this is going to sound oxymoronish probably, like, I, I've enjoyed this. It's It's been a, it's been a, super great time for me and we can continue to talk if we need to talk I just I, I kind of want to piggyback off of what Rachel said I, I've really come to the end of this thinking I didn't need to be here I, I, didn't, I didn't need this mm. and the keywords need I didn't need this yeah. because we let's let's just let the people know give them a good sense of where we've gone okay so we've been to the Sea of Galilee so we've been to Capernaum where Jesus uh, lived during his ministry probably staying with Peter we've been to what's traditionally known as Peter's house, and there's good evidence that probably was his house. Uh, we've been to Mount Carmel, where Elijah fought. 
the prophets of Baal. We've been to Caesarea Philippi and Caesarea by the Sea. Caesarea by the Sea is where Paul was imprisoned. Uh, we've been, uh, then when, when we got to Jerusalem, um, and I'm skipping stuff, but it's trying to hit the high notes. Uh, we've been to the Mount of Olives. Mm-hmm. We've been to the Garden of Gethsemane. We've been to the Mount of Crucifixion. We've been to the place where it's traditionally held that he was resurrected and is buried. We've even been to Joseph Ar- Arimathea's tomb. Um, we've been all the way down to the Dead Sea. So we, we've been um, we, we've been to the city of David. Uh, last night, we were in the upper room, yep. the place where the upper room was, a uh, place that we talk about. Uh, where Pentecost Yeah, happened. where Pentecost happened. Yeah. Um, and we've been around the place where they talked about the, the ascension on the Mount of Olives, right before Jesus says, Acts 1-8, and you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So we've been to all of these things. And really, to be honest, the thing that's, that's, that's one of the things that's bubbled up in my own soul is that I did not have to be here mm-hmm. because there's shrines everywhere you go. Every place is a shrine. So the upper room, um, the, the Holy of Holy, excuse me, the, uh, the Mount of Olives, everyone's got a church built on these things, you know, that's, from the 1300s or 15th century, whatever. And I'm thinking it's not about the shrine. It's about what the reality of what happened 2,000 years ago. And you don't have to be in Israel to figure that stuff out. If anything, what I've been impressed with is I'm, I'm more grateful of the new covenant. <laughs> I mean, I'm grateful that Jesus is the better high priest and he's the better temple and he's the better sacrifice and he's the better people of God. And uh, while it's been a joy to be at all these places, um, I'm probably more taken that, that Jesus is beyond it. You know, I said one time in a sermon, I'm, I'm not as concerned with Jesus coming back to reclaim a, a 50 mile wide strip of land that's, you know, uh, 300 miles long. I'm, I'm ready for him to come back and um, show his sovereignty over all the world and have holiness as the waters cover the, cover the land and the new heavens and the new earth. And all of the stuff that we've seen here has been good, but they're all. They're all fence posts and road signs to a better kingdom that comes with a better king. So it's been good, but it's just reminded me how good the new covenant is. Even seeing all these old boys with their prayer tassels mm-hmm. on each corner of 613, because it represents all the laws of the Old mm-hmm. Testament and the things they can't eat and the things they can't do. And we're just, we've been freed up by the new covenant. So if anything, I'm, 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 I'll be grateful to sit my feet back down in the League City, Friendswood, Dickinson area and go, let's just keep opening up the scriptures and finding Jesus because he's here with us now, not in some geographic location. Yeah, I think there's, um, that's exactly right. I, I, and so I would just say, you know, as important as geography has become to me on this trip, it's not that you have to, it's just that when you see that he went from Capernaum to wherever, just know that they were describing a movement and it was either east to west or north to south and it was just that's why it's there it's not it's, it's not the most important part of the gospel account but it just kind of gives clarity of why they're describing it happened that way and um and they weren't kinda, making it up and they weren't making it up and that, that's really what i was gonna say is just sort of the apologetic of of being here is when you see how close all these places were and that and that the people that lived where jesus lived which is capernaum and galilee and up up by the sea of galilee they said they would take their pilgrimage down to Jerusalem uh, for sure, maybe once a year, maybe as many times as uh, for, for three uh, uh, events a year. But that would take about two weeks to walk down there. So, I mean, these people are walking in communities. I mean, this stuff, I'm just going to say, I always view Paul's uh, statement in, in the resurrection as, you know, it either happened or it didn't. Uh, if Jesus isn't raised from the dead that uh, we're still in our sins and we are above all most to be pitied because we're living in light of something that didn't happen and he's saying it did happen. But when you're here and you see these things, uh, how close 
all this stuff is, you you can't make this stuff up. And I mean that I really I mean that's not an academic statement. That's just my my personal takeaways. Like they couldn't have made it up. All these people knew each other in these communities, yeah. and it's just it's right here, and it's <clears throat> it's not a big area. Yeah, I mean, uh, so 1 Corinthians 15, 14 says, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Our faith is founded in history. And walking here, you can you can see it. You know, um, my faith has been strengthened because of it. But but really, um, it's, it's, it's really just the reality of what that does for us in Christ that matters. And we experience that everywhere. Um, we experienced that in Lake City, in Friendswood, in Dickinson, even in Clear Lake, and um, and that's really the beauty of being here is is knowing that. So um, I'm just I'm grateful for the chance to be here. Uh, yeah. Thank thank you for you guys for just sharing with us a little bit. We could obviously y'all can tell we could talk about this for Good a long right. time, absolutely. Um, but we would mostly just bore you. Um, but I'm grateful for y'all's thoughts and reflections and. Um, May it be a blessing to our church, and would our church be a people who are founded in the truth of what happened here in this place, um, and spread it all across the world. Amen. 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 Thanks, you guys. Thanks for listening today. I hope this conversation was helpful. If you want to watch the video of this podcast or share it with a friend, you can find it at clearcreekresources.org, where you can also find articles, music, and a lot more. Again, I'm Rachel. Thanks so much for joining us today.